Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. A call from a pastor asking me questions last night about matters of faith. And uh, uh, has informed that. I want you to remember that the, the song, even when I don't see it, you know, that, she, that was prompted. First of all, it wasn't on the order of worship. It wasn't anything we have remotely discussed. Um, and I, I want that to, to not create some mystical, super spiritual environment, but to give, uh, to, to attribute uh, the, the glory to the Holy Spirit. And, and that I believe right now, I believe he's working here every Sunday. That's a part of the philosophy of worship. But again, if you are here for the first day, uh, for the first time, normally we are, uh, um, make a, a bit more sense in our, in our going forward. Now, everyone look at me because I'll have somebody send me either a text message or email to say, bless God, Pastor, we don't need it to make sense. We just need to follow the Holy Spirit. I get that. But 1 Corinthians 14 says, when you gather in a gathering like this, make sure you do things that communicate with everybody in the room and make, do make sense, okay? And uh, so we do. But I believe this will make sense by the time we get to the end. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. In the context of our worship, and this will be on a podcast in three or four years from now. Someone will click on it and listen to it. And they won't know the preamble of what's led into this moment, that we've just sung songs about trusting God when we can't see, and that there's a God who's working when we can't see, that there is an unseen factor and an uncertain part of our life. We don't know what the future holds. We can't see it. So many of you are facing events this week that you're uncertain and anxious about the outcome because you can't see the future. You can't see the future. You, you need to get what I'm about to say. I am praying in the backdrop for a renewal of our understanding of our engagement with God, the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, is not an it. He is not less than the other two members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son. The Holy Spirit is God that traveled with the people of Israel in the wilderness. Scripture says that. The presence of God, the Holy Spirit. I am praying we become aware of that more and more that it is a person, not just a dynamic or influence at work in our life. And that Holy Spirit, Hebrews chapter 6 says, is the spirit of the age to come. There's a huge and wonderful study there, but let me just say it this way. He is the Holy Spirit who is in tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. And because we serve a God, listen to me, especially those of you who teach the Word. Because we serve a God who created time, space, and matter, He is a God that is not bounded by the three things He created. God was God before there was a heaven and an earth. The opening three tooth verses of the Bible say that God created time, space, and matter. He said in the beginning, the beginning of us, not him. Time, there was a heaven and the earth, and God began to speak. He created time, space, and matter. So God is not bounded by it. He lives in it all at every what we would call moment. God doesn't know a moment. We can't conceive of that because our life is defined by time, space, and matter. Stuff. God is not. He's not limited by what he created. 
That being said, and you see, I have zero interest. This is a, this is a commentary. Okay, right now, if you're watching a video, the video would pause and Minnie Tom would step over here and be talking about what the guy is saying, that guy, okay? This guy, this guy is now paused. And now this guy is talking. I said, let, let, me, let me explain that guy. Okay, everybody think I've lost my mind? It's okay, I really don't care. My wife's thought that for decades, so. I have zero interest in trying to present to you some cosmic, obtuse, deep, you know, the, 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 the thinker statue, thoughts that make you go, oh, that's deep. I don't care about deep. I don't care that, oh, that's clever. Oh, that's insightful. I care that you encounter the living, pulsating word of God. What happens here at New Hope? Our mantra is this making God's opinion matter most. The opinion of God is what we know to be the Word of God. The Word of God is not just encountered, embraced, or understood on a thinking, cerebral, cognitive level. It is understood by way of encountering the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't say that after I leave, I'm going to send another one just like me. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to help you think better. It said he is going to bring you into understanding and even in two chapters before that, that you can't understand or don't understand. So there is an aspect of that that we can come here and do songs that make you feel psycho-emotionally better. The lyrics line up and they say something to you that you go, wow, that's cool. And there's this whole sort of uh, feel-good moment. Did you know you can feel good? The first great worship disaster is recorded in Exodus 32 at a golden calf. And God's word was this. Moses, get back down there. They eat, drink, and rise up to play. And they think they've had a worship experience. And so, listen to me. I don't talk about other churches or places. I don't even think about them. I don't waste time comparing or contrasting. But let me tell you, we could very easily reduce what we do here to a system of expression that would make sense to everybody in the room. You would have a sense of psycho-emotional exhale and encounter. Everything would click right here and you'd go, that's pretty good. Because we could give you something to eat to satisfy your weekly hunger, quench whatever thirst is going on. And have an emotional encounter. The three words. Eat, drink, rise up to play. And God could still be off there somewhere that said, that is so cool that you guys did that. But guess what? I'm not over there. That's what happened in Exodus 32. God is my witness. I don't just do this here. Every place that I get to go and speak, I'm suspicious that if God is enthroned on the praises of his people, that he might have an engagement that's gone beyond what I planned next. I'll come to you later. Back to Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction. I think the King James says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. We're going to be able to get that stuff up there, or did we have a computer crash again? There it is. Faith is, look, would you read this out loud with me? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. No, 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 that's not it. That's not the verse. Verse, I need the verse, Hebrews 11, 1. 
Um, please, thank you. There it is. Okay, here we go. Let's start again. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, let's read it loud, aloud, and loudly. Okay, ready? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, you need to notice the last two words on this verse, of the not seen things. Now, just leave that verse up there, please, Amanda. The not seen things that are addressed in the, in, as you continue to read uh, all the way through, in particular, the 39th verse, but just throughout the entire chapter of Hebrews, the not seen thing he's talking about is a place beyond life. And he names and lists people. This chapter is called the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's all the Old Testament people that we read about. Moses, Abraham, uh, David, uh, names you're not that familiar with. Jephthah, Gideon, Isaac, Abraham. I mean, all of these guys. And he says, and they did this not seeing, not knowing, because they believed for something out there beyond. But I want to dial in the not seen parts of our life to be not just the unrealized expectations, but the whole not seen. See, because our future is not seen. And where I didn't finish a moment ago, and I'm glad I I chased the rabbit and it came back here now, the Holy Spirit lives in the not seen. He is the God. Hebrews 6 said that he is the Spirit of God of the age to come. So while I have not seen aspects, how many know, here's Tom's famous timeline. This is yesterday, this is today, and that's tomorrow. Every place out there are not seen events and circumstances, outcomes and things we don't know that what's going on. Now here's the deal. How do I deal with the not seen things? I need somebody who lives in the not seen area. I need some for some word, some something that lives in the not seen area. So please listen close to me, to me. When it says here, now faith is the assurance, or I like substance better, but the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, I'm going to skip ahead and do this somewhat out of order. Uh, John 16, verses 7 through 11. John 16, verses 7 through 11. Now I'm going to go back. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come. The helper is the Holy Spirit. That's established elsewhere here. But if I go, I will send him to you. That is, listen, for all of you that are new to faith, Jesus would die, be resurrected, he, uh, some 50, 40, 50 days later, he would ascend to the heavens. And then immediately following that is when the Holy Spirit came in a mighty rushing wind into the upper room. And here's the good news. From that point on, the Holy Spirit lives in and through every person that invites Jesus Christ uh, proclaims him as Lord and Savior, that he died as the payment for our sin to get back to God. It said at that moment... Jesus, praise God, the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus, and then it turns around that Jesus says, I baptize you in the Holy Spirit. They each introduce us to the other one at the same time, and that's a fun little thing to illustrate. Have you ever encountered two people you, you didn't know, maybe, and they start talking to you, and each of them started telling you about the other one nonstop, and say, so, oh, no, but let me tell you about what this guy did, and, you know, and you're trying to listen and keep up. Well, no, let me tell you what, what the, it's sort of this mutual admiration society. That's what goes on at the beginning of our faith in Christ and ongoing. 
And so Holy Spirit, let, let me tell you what the Holy Spirit's going to do next. And, and back and forth and back and forth. Enough about that. And when he comes, he will watch three things. will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world has been judged. In times past, we've broken down these four or five verses and gone into great detail about who the world is there, and it's not who you think in this particular passage. And I've gone into great detail about the three words, sin, righteousness, and judgment. I won't do that this morning. I'm going to cut to chase. Don't have to take my word for it. Um, But if you want more on it, I can send it to you. Everybody say, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin are the places that we find identity and worth outside of God. That's a working definition. Sin is the point at which I accept any opinion about the possibilities of who I can be other than the Word of God. That is sin. That is a safe working definition. Righteousness has to do not only with God. It has to do with God bringing order to anything that's out of order. It's used about 600 times in the Bible, righteous and righteousness, each a little over 300 times. And in the context where you read it, you'll find out that it's God speaking and saying, I have the ability to bring order. Now, see, one of the things in the writings of Paul, he said, when we're born again, we become the righteousness of God. Well, what does that mean? It means my eternity is ordered to where I won't be eternally separated from God, but now I will be eternally in God's presence with him. But it's not just about eternal stuff like everything else in the Bible. It has to do with what's later on, but it also has to do with right here and right now. Here's a verse. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. So it has to do with all of that. So hang with me here. And then finally, judgment has to do with the power of some some legal power to have a final opinion on a matter. Okay? It happens a couple things, but, but that's the one I want to focus on here. So here's what he said. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is coming, and when you have a question, he's going to convict you. See, that's a powerful term that means to rebuke, correct. It's a strong term. Broadly, it means the Holy Spirit's going to show up, sort of jerk us around and say, I don't know what you're going through right now, but here's what you need to know. Watch this. I need to fix your depth perception on where your worth is found. I need to so grab you right now where you're unsure of what the next step is, righteousness, that you can be absolutely certain about what next step to take. And not only that, I want to tell you that the judge of this world, the judge of a world that is darkness, darkness, The judge of this world does not have the final word, I do. So when he says this, he said, I want you to know the Holy Spirit's coming. And when the Holy Spirit comes, here's what he's going to do. At the moment you need it, when you're uncertain about where your worth is found and who it is, he's he's, going to convict you concerning looking in the wrong place. When you're uncertain about what next step to take, and you don't even know if you have the power to next step, he's going to convict you saying, no, you can go this way. Take that next step. And he's going to convict you that you think it's out of control. And what is in control? He's going to remind you that the one who says he's the judge of this world, I'm the judge of him, and I have the final word and I'm in control. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now wait. For a good part of you, that would have been a good place to do that clap again. Don't do it. Don't do it. There's a better spot coming here right now. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. 
Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Who is the convictor? It's the same identical English word and Greek word. Who is the convictor? Somebody help me. I just told you. The Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. When we're dealing with unseen stuff and future uncertainties and we don't know what to do. Hallelujah. He says the faith that you hold. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now I want to give you three things that I'm going to leave on the screen long enough for you to write down. The third one's a bit long, but you need it. And it's Pastor Tom Wordy. I get that. But here comes the first one. My every next step will determine if my hope has been informed by faith or fear. What happens? See, hope is wishful thinking. I can hope for a lot of stuff, but notice. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction. When my faith is, mm -mm -mm, when my hope is informed by faith, it becomes a conviction. Everybody say that out loud. When my hope is informed by faith, it becomes a conviction. Say it again. When my hope is informed by faith, it becomes a conviction. And it works the other way around. <laughs> when my hope begins to be touched by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it becomes faith. Hope and faith are different things. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Mm -mm -mm. Third thing, this one's long. When hope becomes conviction, it will cause me to redirect my next step. So I don't know a shorter way to say this. So as to intersect with the inevitability of God's promise. Just leave that on the screen long enough for everybody to get it. And while you're looking at it, I'm going to explain it. I can stand here and I can hope God's word is true. And I can hope that. But there's a different thing altogether when hope is infused by faith. And faith becomes a conviction. See, these three words, you can't pull them apart. Let me just flip it around for the fun of it. When my hope is touched by conviction and it becomes faith. Either way, you can say it. It works both ways. Okay? Watch. But what happens is I can hope that the outcome of that thing that is unseen. Remember the last part of verse 1. My unseen stuff. The tomorrow, unrealized points of dreams. Unseen outcomes. That whole chapter is full of this. Unseen outcomes. I wish I could just rattle off, go through it, and say, now, Abraham did this. Moses had a hope that this whole Passover deal, that had never happened before, and God said, today is the first day of the brand new year. You're going to do something you've never done. You're going to kill a lamb. It has way more to do with the promise to come than you understand. He could have said, well, that sounds weird. The guy's already uncertain. But when that hope for an outcome was suddenly mixed by faith, he turned and said, all right, my next step is going to be so as to intersect with an unseen possibility that God's word says is lying out there. What does that even mean? It's just more obtuse words, right? See, when faith becomes a conviction, faith is fueled by conviction. When my hope is touched by conviction, it becomes the next step of faith in that direction. Let's look at what we've been studying for five weeks. 
When the Bible says forgive and if I will, I won't imprison my mind. I won't be tormented and there will be a truth and a freedom that flows to me like you can't imagine. It's going to cause me to peel off this thing that I think is defining me, throw it on the ground and say, I don't care what that feels like right now. The word of God says That if I will step that direction and I will go that way, I will intersect with the reality of it, even though I can't see it. Now, faith is the substance of what I hope will be true. It is the evidence of the conviction of things I don't see. I'm driven by a conviction. Oh, my goodness. And by the way, it has to do with the three things I said. Most often, where my worth is found, what I need to do next, and who is in control. You know those questions plague the mind of every human? When we were dealing with unseen things, watch, our uncertainty is, who will I be? And what will it tell me what I'm worth? What is the next step in life? And oh my goodness, who is in control? And God steps up and says, I want you to understand something. When the Holy Spirit shows up and starts to infuse your hope with his presence by conviction, then hope uh, becomes faith, and faith takes steps. Go read the rest of the chapter. What happens when faith and hope are weak? Anybody here besides me concerned about that? 1 Corinthians, do you know I discovered, I didn't know this before, Pastor Matt, there are 12 times in Scripture where faith and hope show up together. How many of you are sweating bullets already that we have a new 12-week series? Okay. Faith and hope show up together. I didn't know that before this morning, and my sermon I prepared was sort of spiritually jerked out before my eyes. It's amazing. I believe the one we're about to read here is just absolutely sort of primal in that. Can, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. You don't know it. Many of you know it. Here we go. But now, let's read it together. Loud, Okay. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Why is that? Why is that? See, faith and hope, how many know those three words describe how we relate to God? Look at them on the screen. How many know there's no greater words that define how we relate to God? Can you say amen to that? Okay. Act like you're Pentecostal and say amen real loud. Okay, there we go. You convinced me for a second. Now, that was a joke. If you are here for the first time, Um, faith, hope, and love define how we relate to God. How many know this is okay? That on any given day, my faith can sort of be here or there. The Bible says that because it talks us about strengthening our faith, building up your faith. So if we need to build it up, that doesn't mean, it means that when we're saved, we don't just get this faith inoculation and it just stays at an all-time high until we see God. It's attenuated by us. That means we, on this side of the equation, here I am, watch, everybody look at the preacher. Faith, hope, and love is how I relate to him. On this side, my side of it, that's how I relate to him. There'll be days when I have a sense. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You have moments when you suddenly that sort of conviction is rising high and you're going to take a step of faith. You know God's saying it and the unseen part that's out there, you can't see it and it doesn't make sense. It says to forgive, love, release, take a step, give. I mean, anybody had one of those moments when God said to give something away or give something and you're saying, I don't know about that, but you're just driven by it and you do it. There's not a person here. That'll tell me in those moments that God didn't show up on the other side of that. But you do it in faith because it's unseen. 
So that's on this side of the equation. My faith can get, how many know my hope can also bottom out at times? See, the Bible says that the treasure, the spirit of God is housed in this earthen vessel. That's why the word of God is important. Everybody look at me. This wasn't a verse I had included. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says the spirit, the, the word of God is living and active. Sharp as a scalpel, as a, a, a medical instrument of even that day. Separating between matters of soul and spirit. It doesn't say it cuts out soul or cuts out spirit. It says it separates. How many know we live in this body where body, soul, mind, spirit, they all mingle together. And there are times when we are more led by our emotions, thought, and will. That's the soul. Emotions, thought, and will. Say those three words back to me. Emotions, thought, and will. They represent the, 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 sort of the, 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 the um, constitution of the soul. But then there's the spirit, capital S, that we are spirit, little s, in whom dwells spirit. By the way, I heard Robert Morris say something this week, and I, I love that guy. He says, we need to understand something about the word of God. The word of God was written by a spirit being to become a spirit document to be communicated to spirit beings. See, we think of ourselves as primarily human and having a touch of something spirit. And that is wrong. I've said that for a thousand years. We are spirit beings who are trapped temporarily in this. God's not waiting until we get rid of this to get there to communicate with the Spirit. He's doing that. Why is that important? Well, how do I know at which moment I'm going to find out what's the Spirit of God and what's my emotion, thought, and will? Answer simple. Hebrews chapter 4. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And when there are moments where soul, life, emotion, thought, and will, things are pressing down on you, and the Spirit's saying one thing, my soul is saying something else, dear God, how do I understand what's what? He says, open your stinking Bible. I got a lot to say about it. And just watch me get in there and begin to cut in between, and you will come out on the other side. Saints, I'm saying that sincerely. Paul would say, holy ones, we don't read the word of God. I mean, reading it to get it written on your heart. I don't mean 15 minutes time where you're cerebrally just looking at words on a page. Okay, I did my 15 minutes today or 10 minutes. No, I mean time set aside every day where you're reading the word of God and you say, well, there's parts of it I don't understand. That's okay. It'll come to you. Why? Because it's spiritually given by a spirit. And it's okay that you don't get all of it here. Everyone look at me. There needs to be parts of it you don't get all here because there are problems out there that you don't get all here. And the stuff out there that's going on that is not all here that we don't see, we are confident that, well, praise God. I'm thankful that there's a whole lot of stuff I don't know. Watch. On the one side, I don't know what tomorrow's going to be. I don't know what Drew's going to do. I don't know where the stock market's going to be. I don't know where my finances will be. I don't know what decisions will be made. That's a a whole lot of stuff I don't know. But I thank God that there's another I don't know factor living out there. That there's a God who lives beyond what I know. The possibilities of his words I will never know. I just got to wait to intersect with that moment and say, Whoa, you were here one more time. Pause button. Lord, they don't know when to clap. I'm sorry they just missed that opportunity to worship you, not the preacher, or a good sermon or something clever said. Please forgive us. Will you rewind the clock one more time and give us another chance? Rewind. So in that moment, 
When I'm intersecting with stuff suddenly that I did not know the day before, the week before, or the month before, I will at the same time discover a provision that I also didn't know that God knew before I ever got there. Woo! Hallelujah! Now abide these three things, faith, hope, and love. (laughs) Here it comes. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, but the substance of faith and hope. I'm not going to read it to you. Read that off the screen. Out loud. One, two, three. I'll start you. Faith is... Read it out loud one more time, and I'm going to tell you why it's important. Come on, start over, please. Faith. Now, that's important because on my side of the equation, I can be faithless. Paul would say that. I can even be hopeless in terms of how I relate to God. But I'll never be loveless. Why? Because God didn't say, you can only have faith because I faithed first. He didn't say you only have hope because I hoped first. In the strictest sense, God doesn't have either of those. Paul, tongue-in-cheek, says it. He says, you deny him, he'll deny you. You do do this, you do that. You're faithless. God will be faithless. Oh, no, actually, that's not what it says. Paul is doing this. You're faithless. He's still faithful because he cannot deny himself. What does that mean? Faith, see, for us is believing God is. God knows he already is. He told Moses at the burning bush when he said, who are you? He said, I am the I am or I am the he is or whatever grammatical tense you want to put that in. He knows he am the am. There's no question about God. So faith is believing God is. God can't ever be faithless because God am the is and are. Dude, I have no idea what you said. Me either. God can't deny himself. He is. He just is. He will never. And why is that important? Listen to me. He said, you love only because I loved you first. He said, speaking of love, as a matter of fact, when you read Romans 8, everybody say Romans 8. When you face all of the things that will threaten your faith and your hope. Put that statement back up there one more time. We're going to read this. Put it back up there about faith and hope. Thank you. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, but the substance of faith and hope is the love of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, but the substance of faith and hope is the love of God. Why is that? There are two lists of things in Romans 8 that that will absolutely mitigate our faith and our hope. He says, but when you face peril, nakedness, famine, distress, sword, devastation... Oh, my goodness. He says, not only that, when you face height, depth, principalities, things present or things to come, when everything out there challenges, watch, back to the three, from listen, challenges your source of worth and the worth of your life, challenges your power to take a next step or which step or who is in control at the end of it all. He said, those things that, that peril, nakedness, famine, distress, and sword, they will mitigate your faith and your hope. There will be so day, days when you get that bad report from the doctor and there'll be moments in your life when your soul 
is informing your next action. And your faith is at an all-time low. But wait, 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 because it is the Spirit of God that is the source and substance of conviction. Wait, wait, because what I want you to know is that whether or not you love, I loved first, and here's things that are true. Nothing, watch, in the same Romans 8, nothing can separate me from the love of God. All of the things that threaten your faith and hope, he listed them, nakedness, peril, famine, distress, sword, you fill in the blank. Things that affect us where we say, Father, I just don't know if I can take a next step because my faith and hope and my sense of worth has been just so threatened and challenged. I don't know if I can do that. He said, Tom, lift up your chin. He says, faith, hope, and love, these three abide. But let me tell you the greatest of them, it's love. And it's not love that comes from you. It's love that came from me because Romans 5 said that while we're enemies, helpless, and sinners, before we ever thought of loving him, God said, I loved you then. And when your faith and hope is at the bottom, I'm going to be loving you now. And I want you to know when your faith and hope is at the bottom and you're facing everything, every uncertainty about what that thing is going to be when you get there. He said, let me assure you of this, that the love that loved you before you knew me, the love that drew you to know me and ever give expression to faith and hope will be the same love waiting for you to intersect at that moment. And you will see that I have worked everything out according to your good and my purpose. And that faith and hope will begin to rise up in you. Why? Anybody here want to know how to get it? Psalm 119, 105, verses 105 and 6. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. When I don't know what step to take next in the darkness of this world that has been judged. See, that's all the poetry. Everyone look here. When Jesus was talking about the judge in John... He was also talking about the prince of this world who is the prince of darkness. We live in a world that's dark. He didn't say the world would become undark. He said we would become undark by light. Beloved, you hear me. There are many of you here that your faith and hope hangs on by a thread all too often because you do not know or get into the word of God. Just read it. And every day you read it. I don't mean go through rote and buy a bumper sticker. I mean read it and say, Father, help me to understand before you start. And when you're done, Lord, help illuminate and enlighten those things that I don't understand. I used to know by memory how many steps were there. Because I would walk through this sanctuary so often and the lights were out. I think I've only fallen down them twice. It was a loud noise, and fortunately, because of some very small residual bit of athleticism, I haven't broken some body part. Why didn't you turn the lights on? Well, the switch is back there and this and that. And of course, then came, you know, why didn't you turn your phone on? It was just times when I was in a hurry, and I left the phone in the office, and I'm racing back somewhere. Just stupidity. You race into the darkness. Okay? But here's what God's Word says. Um, I don't know. Is Matt back there? Matt, leave the screens on and leave Psalm 119 and 105 through 106 on the screen. Turn everything else off. All the lights, everywhere, stage, 
house master. Bring it down. Your word is a lamp. These three in the middle, too. I don't want any lights. I know that those are safety ones, but too bad. Don't anybody move. If your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and will confirm it that I will keep your righteous word ordinances. Okay, now I have choices. I'm even just moving back here to put this on this little table. We live in a dark world. Tragically, for whatever reasons of being 61 years old, I get up two or three times a night. Those of you that are over 50 will understand. I have memorized the path to the kitchen and the bathroom. I now leave enough lights on, but on the occasion when the lights are not on, I know where everything is. I, I could probably approximate distances, <laughs> but it doesn't make any difference how much I've memorized who it is, where it is. When the power goes out in our house and it's pitch black in the middle of the night, I am ever cautious because no matter how careful I am, I hit something with my face or my foot. There's a sermon there. But it's an amazing thing when I'm standing in the darkness. I could attempt to navigate these five steps right now, and I could feel my way and and probably do pretty good. But there's a better idea. Wow, that is so easy. How many know that? This is a little flashlight. I could get a bigger one, I guess, but this is a little flashlight. And it's big enough that if you're shining it, I can go in front of me and I can see where I'm going and I can take a next step. See, when I'm living at a moment when faith and hope is low because my tomorrow is unseen, because I live in a dark world and my tomorrow will always be unseen, how can I possibly illuminate that? At what point do you know what? It's not an accident. I didn't list this scripture. That one chapter before he said he will come And he will guide us and convict us in matters of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The first thing he says is, I'll bring the word of God to memory. He said that was the first. He will bring what Jesus said. He will bring it to your mind. You know, I don't know what happens. I may look for God to tell me, watch this. Holy Spirit, please tell me about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Watch this. Lord, in my uncertainty about tomorrow and what next step to take... Please tell me where my worth is found, what my next step is, and who is in control. That is predicated by the Word of God. Because the first thing he said he's going to do is bring the Word of God to your remembrance. How many know if you've never read it or been in it, there's no way he can bring it to your remembrance? Here's what happens. Lord, your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So that when it's dark and I can't see and I don't know which direction to go, I'm going to come before your word and I'm going to say, Lord, as I read this word, Holy Spirit, please illuminate the word. And as you do, just remind me one more time where my worth is found, what step I need to take next, and who is in control by the time I arrive at that unseen land of tomorrow. 
See, because he not only says he is God of the end of the age, he's God in every moment between now and that ultimate unseen moment. He is God between now and the every other unseen moment between that last unseen moment. I don't know if I'm saying this well, but he's that God. And the moment, praise God, that our faith and hope are low, he's going to step in and say, now I want to remind you, that it's my love that fuels faith and hope. I'm right here. Lift your chin up. Receive it. Now let me show you something in my word that's going to show you what next step. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.